the Pro Tools Expert podcast with James Ivey, Julian Rogers, and Alan Salabank. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pro Tools Expert podcast number 315. It's the 16th of April, 2018. My name's James Ivey. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. So first up tonight, deals. Well, we don't have any, but you can check out the rest of the deals from our partners on the Partner Brands section of our deals page. That's not confusing, is it? So let's dive right into some talking points, and these are sponsored by our friends at Universal Audio. Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Do your vocal recordings need more shine? Are you in the market for a new audio interface? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, now could be a very good time to buy Universal Audio Apollo Twin as part of UA's new Apollo Twin Platinum Vocal Promotion. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Solo and get Antares Auto-Tune real-time for free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Duo or USB and get Antares Auto-Tune and the Manly Voxbox plugins free. Or buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Quad and get Antares Autotune, Manly Voxbox and Pure Plate Reverb plugins, all for free. You can find out more about this and other deals the Universal Audio team are running by visiting uaudio.com or by clicking the link in the podcast notes. Okay, so keeping it safe and keeping it real, um, security. Dan put out a post um, about some of the things that he does, and some of you have jumped on it as well, which is really good, with some points that maybe we missed. But um, I just thought we should go around our virtual table this evening uh, and just talk about some of the things that we do and some of the things that actually either Dan or members of the community missed on the article. Julian, dive in, because you can obviously come to this from a very uh, an institutional point of view. <laughs> it makes it sound like I've been cut. No, never mind. Um, I, I, I can, well, you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing with institutional use, if you're in uh, if you're in a place where security isn't your responsibility, as in the the security of the building, uh, ingress and uh, egress. Is that right? It um, is. It mm. happens all the time. And, and you, you know, you can't obstruct the free flow of people. For example, yeah, I mean, I've worked in a university. In a university, there's, you know, there's some very demanding students who want free access to equipment, as they should do. They're paying for the pleasure and, you know. And uh, to tell them they can't come in isn't going to go down well at all. It's not your call. But it is your responsibility to, to make sure that all of the stuff is still there when they leave. And, uh, I mean, there are a few approaches to this. Obviously, CCTV, I mean, but someone else is going to talk to that. So I'll, I'll probably probably leave that one. But uh, as Dan said in the in the article, CCTV doesn't stop stuff being nicked. <laughs> it, just, it just helps you, no, helps you see true. who nicked it. Yeah, yeah, which if you know who they are is great. If you don't know who they are, it's no help at all. So, um, But there are some other stuff. And the, the really big one that I've got with security is it, it's little stuff and it's it's cultural. I think I've I think I've spoken about this before on the blog, but um, it's it's about expectations. If you're dealing with the same people all of the time, if people understand that they're in a well-run place where the people running it are perfectly aware of what's in there when they came in, and and they're going to check that it's still there when when you leave, then that really kind of tightens stuff up. It's the little, it's the erosion from the bottom end. So you know, if somebody is is nicking a velcro tie off the uh, off a cable, then is it a big deal? Well, it, it kind of is, because if they're going to nick a Velcro tie, what's to stop nicking the whole cable? What's to stop nicking the mic at the end of the cable? What's, do you see what I mean? So it's that cultural thing about constantly feeding out a message of, this stuff is here. I mean, there's something in it. This was always my take on it, um, particularly for students, some of whom, I mean, it depends who you're dealing with. I've, I've dealt with all levels of student in the past. And and even the kind of like least engaged, um, uh, least the, the the ones who who aren't necessarily going to trouble the industry once they've finished what they're doing because there are some. Um, it's the most effective way I've found to sort of feed this message out is just what's in it for them. It's always about a positive message rather than if you nick something, I'll do terrible things to you because, I mean, for a start, there's very little that you can do anyway in that situation. Um, But uh, if you kind of say to them, look, you can come in, you can use everything. I'm not going to be on your case all the time because we're in an environment where everyone 
understands that it's all going to be there at the end of the day for the next person who comes in and uses it, that's great, but it's very fragile. So don't spoil it for everybody because if something goes missing, you're not going to be able to use the stuff freely either. You'll have me totally on your case getting in your way and worrying about the gear rather than what you're trying to do with it. And it, it, it works. There's no there's no magic bullet to this, but definitely it's a thing that it's just like, if you stay on it and stay on it and stay on it, you can minimise this stuff. Whereas if you let it go, even for a minute, suddenly stuff starts to, stuff starts to move. So, yeah. The most ambitious one I ever heard of, and this really is uh, extraordinary levels of, of uh, ghoul, was uh, um, uh, somebody uh, on an arts course, actually. And you know, like art students carry those huge, great kind of A1 artist portfolios, those big flat Mm -hmm. cases. Yeah, Yeah, somebody walked out with a 27-inch iMac in one of those. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And then came back and did it the next day. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, you've got to keep on it because if people are nicking the, the foam off your microphone, they'll come back for an iMac soon so you know anyway that's my bit i mean i know alan what do you think you've you've worked in some very different environments like from me but certainly places where they aren't necessarily exactly the same people going into uh, i don't know an edit suite every day or something like that yeah i mean it's learned well there's a there's this is the thing i mean i've worked in some places where yeah the gear is incredibly expensive and rare and important to their to their workflow however it's of virtually no value compared to the content that's stored at that facility. So I think the only, the only thing that this, uh, art, uh, Dan's article falls down on about is it's, you're placing all the importance on the actual physical gear that's in the studio, not the recordings, not the creation, not the unique stuff that you, you, you can't replace. So, uh, or shouldn't get into the hands of people who should, it shouldn't be in the hands of. So, um, I think either there's, there's a t- double edged, well, there's not, there's two prongs to this really now, especially now that data is so portable, so easily hacked and everything like that. Um, I really feel that, well, that's the other thing. If I want to work with somebody who, you know, is on a sensitive project, um, I had to be able to demonstrate that I am pretty much unhackable, that I've got levels of security around me, all, all this sort of things. You know, certain clients will refuse to work in a facility that doesn't have security guards. Um, there's, they won't, they'll refuse to work in facilities that don't have key swipes on every door. Um, you know, and then, then they also insist on you not bringing your mobile phone in and everything like that. I mean, we've had things with directors taking pictures and, and, and stuff like that. And that is, again, that's theft from your property um, of stuff that you're working in, that you're invested in, and that you've given your assurance to your client that you're going to protect with every you know, fibre of your body. So... It's, um, I think nowadays it, it's not just the gear. Gear can be replaced by insurance, um, which is another topic that is, you know, that is very important to have the right type of insurance. Don't just rely on your home insurance because if they, uh, if they get wind of the fact that you've got lots of specialist equipment in your house or in your living area, then they'll refuse to pay up when it, yes, if it gets nicked. I absolutely nicked. promise you they will refuse to pay up. Yeah. Because because what they'll turn around and say is you are either running a business or running, you are making, what's the term they try to use on for cameras with me? You are being financially remunerated for your hobby. Ah, well, that's for the difference. I've got a limited company, so I have company insurance for my equipment. Oh, I do now, but but at the time, my cameras and things, because I wasn't using that they weren't... professional cameras i wasn't using the professional use um yeah trust me if you've got i don't know uh, audio interfaces speakers a desk whatever they they will not cover that on your home insurance that's that's not even up for debate it just mm. won't happen yeah absolutely but uh, as well as that you i don't think i i know anybody who would actually indemnify you against loss of data say if it was a leak of uh, something you know sensitive that you're working on, 
So it's that's where you have to be. Um, there's, there's two ways you can go about it. You can fortify yourself, you know, have security, have CCTV, have you know a, a very secure environment, um, or you can make yourself anonymous. Uh, you know, so basically, don't advertise to the world that you're working on projects that you're working on. Um, don't. Well, I, th- yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean. I mean you're in a slightly different situation. Obviously, a lot of the post guys um, out there who are listening might be in a slightly different situation. But certainly, a lot of us music guys, mm. we're not working on the next Pixar or United Artists movie. We, a lot of us are working on on band demos, projects, things like that. Now, I'm not belittling that in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, and and we're, we're very much crossing the borders into our backup strategy, which we certainly have talked about a lot on podcasts and on the blog and stuff like that. And I and say, all your points are completely valid. And I know um, Johan, actually on the article, picked this one up because mm. I think, Dan, w- when you start, as we all know, when you start to write an article, you have a mindset. You have a direction where that article is going. And sometimes you don't deviate from it. Dan's point was obviously very much of a um, bricks and mortar type nature and gear mm. nature rather than a data nature which is a totally and utterly valid point that that you know you're, you're making yeah i wonder whether um we have covered backup strategy and stuff before um it's an interesting kind of extension to that because to do no, no, the, I, mean, I was talking more about the theft of that no, data no, totally, from, yeah, yeah. It's, from it's, you it's, it's yeah, a related issue mm. is kind of lot, how secure is your data in terms of you losing it but also, yeah, it is an, an interesting um, extension to that debate. How secure is it against somebody taking it? Which is slightly different, but uh, um, definitely overlaps with that. Mm. P- possibly, possibly more than physical security, just because it's it's a it's a slightly different set of tools that you engage to make sure that somebody doesn't help themselves to your uh, to your data. I think I think coming at it from a again back back to the, the gear and bricks and mortar kind of point of view that Dan was, was clearly sort of. I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth by saying he was clearly aiming the article from that direction. Um, I've got a couple that he missed. Um, the, the first one is make your gear as unmovable as possible. Oh, absolutely. And definitely. by that, I mean rack mount everything. Mm. Now, I'm not saying it's unstealable, touching wood rapidly, but make it as difficult as possible to to get it out of the building um you know secure stuff to the floor where possible um it's it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility that the rack units god I, I did dread to think how much the the 214u rack units i've got would weigh if i tried to if, if me or a another tried to lift them um but the other thing as as you mentioned alan is anonymity don't let people know what you're doing now i have a i have a fairly large scale problem with that at the moment and i will share it with with you guys and you and the podcast um much like the rest of the team i do see a lot of courier drivers Mm. and courier drivers are excuse my french and if you are one i'm terribly sorry but you're not you're a nosy lot and I've got two who are desperate to get in the studio and have a good good nose around. And I'm thinking, I don't really want you looking in my studio because I don't know who you're going to say, oh, the last bloke I delivered to had a blooming great recording studio in his back garden. That, that, that doesn't sit right with me. So I'm definitely trying to, I'm trying to intercept them halfway down the garden now rather than actually at the shed door. Um, well, I mean... I, I, I've got, I can say something about that as well because um, recently I, I moved house and I, I hired a man with van. Um, I found them on Facebook on one of the local marketplaces. And uh, when they turned up, you know, they said, all right, we got your fridge and what have you. And as they were unloading, um, his, his mate says, oh, I hear you're a sound engineer. <laughs> I, w- uh, uh, sorry, pardon? Yeah, you worked on any big bands? Uh, well, um, well, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, thanks for Facebook stalking me first, and yeah, you know, but yeah, that goes to show mm. just how easily what you're doing can get out there from yes. just you know 
and and it, yeah, very uh, innocuous seeming thing. So yeah, if if you if you if it is that important to you to stay anonymous, then yeah, you have to disconnect from a lot of social media and other things like that, which may impact on your earning potential. But hey, who knows? That's yeah. We we could talk about Russ's article about disconnecting from Facebook from that from that point of view. But this is the this is the thing. It's right. This is becoming a bit more a virtual thing because we're 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 talking starting to talk about the things we can't insure against. Well, and we can't control really. Mm. You you can't stop. Okay, you put you can put all the um, like for example, the Facebook security stuff in place and stop people who are outside your friend's group seeing your pictures and stuff like that. And that's all highly sensible stuff to do. But if you've got a, a company page, you don't want to limit it to the people you already know. You want it to, to be the people you don't don't yet know. You want it to be out there and be seen by the world. And, you know, so it is definitely a balancing act. I'm not, so I'm still not sure where I sit on that. I mean, Jen's been asking me to go on them. Um, put google my business down mm-hmm. which basically puts a very large pin on google maps and says here you go this is where all the goodies are and i'm kind, oh, of, kind of thinking no. Mm, no i don't think i i don't think i want that <laughs> well yes and then um yeah it's yeah it's it is a double-edged sword i think that definitely the the google location thing i mean but uh again it's it depends how you get your work if you're pitching out as a as a facility as a as a walk-up as it were, a uh, facility where anyone can just knock on your door and say, can I come and record X, Y, and Z? Um, yeah, you then you have, then you need the, then you need the, um, then you need to realize that you're going to need the security to go with that. I don't know many studios other than perhaps, I don't think Abbey Road's actually got a sign saying this is the world famous Abbey Road Studios. But I mean, it's fairly recognizable. Though, yes. You know? And <laughs> Capital does have that very large Capital sign um, <laughs> 19 stories up or however many it is. Sorry if I got that wrong. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to miss as well. Yeah. When down it, so. <laughs> but I mean, you know, but I don't know many studios these days that have signs outside because you just don't go and advertise do you? you don't you don't say by the way overnight there's no one here <laughs> well more more to the point it's not the kind of business that relies on passing trade as in people walking past if you if you're going to a studio you know when you set off in the morning that that's where you're going to go and you've already contacted them it's I, i'm not i'm not aware of any studio that literally has a knock on the door hi can i record because it doesn't really work like that no. So, no so yeah i don't think i don't think having a sandwich board outside is necessarily the the, the right way to promote your your studio business so <laughs> well i mean there has been a growing trend certainly in the uh east end of london with with um, studios having bars or cafes attached to them, yeah. virtually open to the public. And I, I've often wondered how that works because I, I can't... They've either got to have very high levels of security around the studio and also an agreement with their clients that they might get papped or tagged in a post or what have you when they're just having their, their lunch or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I, that's... That's a whole other thing. It's, that's that's more to do with studios trying to find alternative revenue streams mm. to to supplement their income, which is which is sad in itself, really. Yeah, so, and certainly when you when I I've sort of got into recording studios and things like that, it was to get away from working in bars, not to end up mm. working back in one. Yeah. Cool. Should we should we park this one for now? I think we've I think we've raked it over pretty well. So, Julian, tell us about this month's competition. Uh, we've got a competition running for the rest of April, uh, so that's only two weeks. So if you're interested, then uh, then do hurry along because we've got uh, a chance to win one of five copies of uh, Wave Alchemy's uh, Evolution drum instrument. I reviewed that a little while ago. I thought it was brilliant, actually. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's not necessarily my normal kind of thing, but just in terms of quality of noises that comes out of it, it I thought it was really exceptional stuff uh, it is a contact instrument but you can you can use it with the free player so you don't need to own contacts to uh, to run it and uh, yeah head over to the win page and uh, and enter that and while you're there don't forget to check out the uh, partner win section where we've got uh, offerings from our partner brands 
Great stuff. So last week was a busy week in the trade show world. We had NAB and we also had Music Messer and ProLight and Sound in Germany. Um, or should I say Frankfurt, Germany. Um, I, I didn't go to Messer because I had heard from a lot of people that a lot of people weren't going. Uh, a lot of the, the people I wanted to speak to weren't going. And I took the tactical decision that I thought, you know what, I would rather spend some sort of quality time going to see people in their their HQs rather than spending five minutes talking to someone, then 25 minutes walking between two halls that were so <laughs> far apart, it was absolutely, it was ridiculous. To say last year's Mesa was a disaster for me um, what would be an understatement. It was horrendous. Um, so... Yeah, Mesa was, say, for me, a bit of a bust. It, I'd say, and we heard a few product announcements, but not that much. Do we think that could be because it's quite close to, to NAM? I'm, I'm wondering what to make of it. I'm, uh, I understand Mesa kind of changed, changed its, its model. Was it last year? And La- it opened its doors to to the public. Yes, yeah. Well, mm. again, that didn't really happen. It didn't really work. The whole idea was you had... My understanding of it was that there would be t- a hall that was for business only and a hall or and a series of halls for, for, for trade and a series of halls for the public. Thus meaning, if you are a brand picks company out of out of the air focus right and you want to be seen by the public and by the trade the trade don't necessarily want to go and mix with the public no offense public but it, but there's serious numbers to be talked and margins and things like that that, that um you know delicate numbery type stuff um and but they also want to be seen by the public so they need two booths which is just ridiculous and didn't work it didn't fly at all um now, ProLight and Sound, even though they happen approximately the same time in the same kind of convention centre, the, the Mesa in Frankfurt is absolutely vast. I mean, it is enormous. Um, I, I remember when Mesa took three days to do the entire show. And mm. last year I managed to do... Uh, drums Drums and percussion had their own building Guitars had had two halls, you know. I did drums, guitars, and basses in about twenty five minutes, which was just ridiculous. Um, now, do we think this could be because there are there are websites in the world who are uh, doing away with the need for trade shows, or do we think that the glory days are? It's it's, it's possible to get the glory days of trade shows back again. I think if if trade shows made financial sense then they they would be thriving the fact that then they're struggling suggests that the numbers don't stack up i mean it's kind of straight from the bottom you know kind of if something works it works and something seems to be not working so exactly why it's up for debate but i i, I do get the sense that things are i i get the sense that things are, are sort of like settling out um Winter Nam doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Well, well, Winter Nam is so massive, and it has two really big bonuses for anyone from Europe, um, Europe and Asia, Middle East to a certain extent. Um, but from from a European point of view, the idea of a week in January in decent temperatures with sunshine is hmm. definitely appealing. Even if you spend the whole week indoors. Yeah. Even if you spend the whole week <laughs> indoors. I know it sounds... But, but you don't, because NAM, NAM isn't just a trade show. It's an event. It's actually an industry event. Whereas Mesa, I, 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 as much as they've tried to make it cool, it's not cool. The thing is, I mean, I think what's happening... I mean, I'm I'm from the generation where a ticket to go to the APRS show in uh, London was like the golden bar of chocolate, um, and it was fantastic because also, I mean, that was yeah late eighties, early nineties, and there was such an incredible rate of innovation and change and everything going through the industry, especially in just sound, um, that it was great to go and see these 
you know, prototypes that manufacturers are putting out there to get reaction from the industry from and everything like that. I don't think that sort of thing happens anymore because for a start, if somebody's got an exciting prototype, the last thing they want to do nowadays is share it with the public so that somebody else can pinch the idea. They want to actually get it fully developed within their own beta testers and what have you like that, then go live with it as a finished product. Um, you don't get people, you know, testing the water with things with the with 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 the general public. Certainly, when it's you know, a public trade show, as it were, that's a contradiction. But roll yeah, with I think we know what you mean, though. Yeah, I mean, but that's that that's the thing. I mean, and I don't think there's that sort of. You know, I remember going and seeing my first fully digital assignable console. That uh, was at an APR show, and yeah, you know, and latest developments of things like Fairlight and Audiophile and things like that. You know. Big, big leaps in technology. Mm. The thirty-two track digital tape recorder, all those sort of things. These were all bubbling up at the time. Now, what do we get? A rebrand of a of a DAW. Um, well, let, let's let's talk about some of the stuff that did come out because you know there, there a few thing, a few big stuff did did happen. Um, obviously, officially, the the um, the Pro Tools Ultimate rebranding. Um, thing happened at the Avid Connect event, didn't it? And then at, at NAB. Hmm. Um, I don't believe Avid's presence at the Messer side of things was that big, but certainly at ProLite, they were showing off some fairly sizable chunks of box, weren't they, Julian? Mm, yeah, yeah. If, if by that you mean the SXL stuff. That the SXL looked, really looked very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... Uh, it, it set me off thinking just because I've, I mean, I used to do a lot of live sound work. That was my kind of my, my livelihood, um, f- quite a few years ago, but I'm kind of out of the loop. But if you remember when the venue stuff came out, it kind of took over the world. I mean, it really was the right product at the right time and they were everywhere. And I'm not out enough to really, to really have a handle on what people are using. I mean, my, to my mind, um, at the, at the bottom end, X thirty two's taken taken over that space, yes, pretty comprehensively. Um, Midas are doing very well higher up, and having that kind of that link, um, it's uh, the the, the X thirty two is not a Midas, despite what no, people not. insist on saying. <laughs> but uh, those people usually haven't used a Midas. I've I've had a brief go on a, on on a Pro six, and I, it was just the most wonderful thing. Digico's everywhere especially on complicated stuff. And Yamaha have never gone away because they also came in at the right time. But like particularly profiles, um, like venue profiles, were just everywhere for such a long time and were so popular. And the thing that um, the thing that really struck me, um, and well, it didn't only strike me, I think it struck quite a few people, was it things got very peculiar when it became so clear that you, the, the last vestiges of TDM were still out there, alive and well in uh, um, in all of this installed base of, of, mm. of venue stuff, and it's like. Uh, Avid being constrained and held back by its by its legacy hardware that doesn't sound you know I mean it's it's mm. kind of it's, it seems it seems strangely familiar and S three if I mean it, we need to remember that the, the S three was initially launched as as a as, as a live sound S three S three sound yeah three part like as a three three segment live sound mm. and I remember there being a big petition from post users saying we want this and eventually they got it but. Um, S6L, the big one, came out. I thought it was interesting that they launched it that way around because it seems quite the normal way around to do things, to do the big aspirational big ticket product first and then trickle out the accessible options later. But they did it the other way around with that, which I um, remember thinking was quite refreshing. But I S6L, keep looking at this and it's just, I think, you know, I, I'm really jealous of what the live gut people are getting. Um, don't they because look great? <laughs> they look great. They look fabulous. They look well built, and you know, really, of course, you're not um, you're not a huge fan of it, of the S six. The anyway, I'm just afraid I'll break it every time I touch it. That's yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the build quality certainly on the I've not I've never I've haven't seen an S six L in the in the flesh yet. But the but the S three I first saw when it first came out as a live product, and the thing that That's really impressed me was the build quality. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could you could knock someone out with one of them. You really could. You're talking about difficult things to steal. It weighs a ton. <laughs> yeah. So but yeah. these new these new small ones, I mean they've done one that basically looks like a profile. Pretty oh, it doesn't look exactly like a profile, but it's the same kind of form 
factor and then a yeah. little one as well but it's the interchangeability with the with the new stage boxes and they're doing sensible size stage boxes um so you know if you need a little one they do a little one and this is something that's always struck me about these big you don't have to have stage 48 boxes. channels you know and it's got <laughs> oh we've got one line over here and you've got 48 yeah exactly yeah and um and the brains and the brain was the overlooked thing for a long time when i first saw the s3l brain and i just thought that's exactly what we need and as far as i could mm. see it was just like a it was a rack mount i mean it looked, it looked like a pc with a with yeah. a with a hds card, card, card in but yeah fantastic and the modularity because i mean the thing i do know for definite about about some um, uh, current practices it's all about your show file and you do all of this work to prepare a show file and then just take it out from place to place to place and, and some people who are working uh, with venue equipment have got different versions of their show in different console formats and stuff that's crazy yeah. you know and being able to push that whole compatibility thing's brilliant so i i mean this is something that um i i think you know it's it we don't really cover on the blog and i'd i'd, I'd like to because uh, i think that it's definitely of interest to pro tools users because of the whole i mean virtual sound check the first place i i heard of that was with, yeah. with venue yeah so you know i mean it's 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 right in there but that's that's the you know the release of the year for me so far i really do want to see them and see what they're like because the fact that Avid are investing so much in, in a big line of hardware, anyway, in itself is really interesting. Yeah, because of course we've been saying from a from a studio audio point of view, um well we, we know Avid aren't doing hardware because um the what's it called? The uh the DAD box. The MTRX the, the MTRX. The Matrix yeah. MTRX, yeah. Mm. He's obviously is a DAD rebadge but it wasn't only big toys from uh th that were the announcements there was some there was some good little stuff and some good kind of um problem solvey type devices there were indeed uh, the, i'm gonna jump in again on on this just because uh the thing that i saw that i really liked um was the um finally rme have planted their flag or not planted it if you like in the <laughs> AOI yeah. it's, it's you kind of forget the it kind of like the, two such flags. an important <laughs> brand they they didn't do an aoip product so yeah, yeah these new I've little been things for years Yes, go, go on, Alan. What do you think about them? You've seen them. Uh, well, yeah, I, yeah I've, I, there's no secret what I think of RME. I think they're absolutely fantastic. They sound brilliant and they're rock solid. So if they're bringing that to uh, AOIP, then yeah, you can't lose. I have to say, there's an awful lot of channels in a very small box with those as well. But mm. it's the, the, just to, for anyone who hasn't seen the thing, they've brought out two Digiface interfaces, both very small. Um, but uh, one's one's Dante. No big surprise. The whole Dante space is kind of uh, so so busy that uh, it would be very odd not to not to go there. Um, but they've also done done a little AVB box, which mm. looks really powerful, and it's really nice to see some people um, supporting AVB because it's, things have been a bit quiet. Um, I've I, I like AVB just kind of like philosophically. I think it's a really great approach, but. Um, the uh i mean mo2 and presonus you know yeah. i mean sure they're doing avb stuff other people are as well and there's lots out there in the install space but in our world the stuff's pretty thin on the ground and great crme in there because you know they're significant players well and um so the ferrofish box that i spotted that looks particularly useful as a kind of multi-format converter to um, to Dante. I mean, Dante is the only real A um, AOIP protocol I'm starting to speak, if I'm totally honest. Um, in, in the world of me, I think Dante's one. I, I'm sure out there in the kind of pro sound world, uh, AVB is still big. Uh, Ravenna does seem to be quite, uh, have, have it, it has its um, user base. But I think certainly from what I can see, learning the plat learning the protocols learning the platforms dante is is walking it is is it's it's there are some other stuff but they're a little bit more niche but yeah you'd be, you'd, you'd be doing very well to av to avoid dante considering how much hardware you have uh, across yeah. your desk <laughs> yes. but the the one that the i haven't mentioned is uh is soundgrid which um 
it's kind of like it's one of those ones that's that's hard to ignore because of the tie-in with waves and i mean particularly we're talking about the uh live sound stuff uh some a big thing about the sxl is kind of like you know across the board sound grid integration just because people want their waves plugins Hmm. People have this have this very kind of non negotiable. Well, some people have this very non negotiable attitude to uh, to those uh, to those plugins, and they are supported. And if you want a DSP like workflow with Waves, the only way you can do it is is to is to buy into the SoundGrid ecosystem. So, although luckily you can bridge to other to other formats now, there's some clever bridging devices in, mm-hmm. exist, so yeah. you can kind of cross pollinate if you like between soundgrid and dante for example so anything else um any other announcements from the sh- from the show be that nam or nab or uh, not nam uh, mesa or prolite there was there was one that i saw that i thought was really interesting which was there's uh, there's a guy uh, i saw who was developed a hardware synth uh, exodus digital have done a, a thing called the Val- valkyrie Valkyrie, I don't know how you say that word. Not but as yes, in bum, kind of, bum, bum, yeah, yeah, bum, Norse, yeah, exactly. Norse yeah, right. things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, and it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a hardware digital digital synth, virtual. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's a hardware analog or virtual analog synth. Uh, it, I don't even know whether to call it virtual for reasons that we'll get onto in a minute. But um, I mean, this is this is a kind of very much in development product. It's it's at prototype stage, trying to get some industry support, as far as I can see. But the thing that I thought was really interesting because I was just kind of unaware of it was that it's not a DSP based synth it's not it's not pure it's not an analog pure analog synth it's based around FPGAs which I didn't mm. even know you could do but you can and I mean my knowledge of FPGAs field programmable gate arrays thank you uh, is no. a, yeah that's pretty much all I know about them uh, no, the the other thing that I know about them is that the low latency Monitoring path in uh, in HD native and in HDX hardware is, is based on FPGAs. It's it's kind of programmable hardware, and uh, the the f- when I stopped and thought about it, when yeah, that's true. That of course that is different from DSP. With DSP, you've got like fixed architecture and you write code for it, and it is dedicated hardware. But it's not hardware that you can change. And with an FPGA, you can development. And I think it's a development platform for manufacturers. But that's kind of it. But how useful would that be in our world? Because, you know, I mean, we we say unkind things about DSP occasionally, but if it's hardware that you can upgrade, you know, kind of rather than firmware, but actual hardware. But that's upgrade. quite interesting because, say, Antelope, a, a company that I, I love their stuff, I've used several units and bought a couple, um, their interface line is the effects are all fpga based effects now i assumed clearly incorrectly from what you've just been saying that this was a form of dsp this is i think this is i didn't know that but um i think this is a bit where we're gonna have to be very careful not to sound like we know what we're talking about here because i don't think any of us are kind of uh, can talk talk to this with some authority, but we can say, look, this is interesting. From our point of view, this is interesting because this is a distinction that we hadn't paid as I much attention to. Previously. The distinction is, mm-hmm. it's not DSP. It's whatever you want it to be, or whatever the developer Ooh, wants it to be. Okay. That's the point. You see, as as Julian described it before, is this uh, micro breadboarding. I mean, if you remember the, the if you remember the, uh, I don't know if anyone's, if anyone was nerd, particularly nerdy like me as a teenager and actually did a, a, a qualification in electronics. Yeah, breadboard, used to zero, have zero, zero breadboards. Oh my God, they were the bane or the inspiration of your life. It was, you know, one of those things. But, um, it, this appears to be, to me, like, you know, th- th- there's, there seems to be a revival now in these sort of things of making something do what you wanted to do, not having to work around it. So you've got all these little, um, uh, next unit of computing devices. You've got the pies and, uh, various other things, Arduinos and stuff, stuff like that. And I've seen some lovely little, um, MIDI sequences that have been home built out of these sort of things. Um, but I mean, this isn't new really because I mean, Fairlight have been using FPGAs for over, over a decade now. Well, that's um, just typical, isn't it? Because my fantastic <laughs> discovery is not a dis- I'm used to this. But, <laughs> but uh, it, I think 
it bringing it in more, you know, going moving more towards adaptable tech, which you know you mold rather than it molding you. I think that is definitely the way forward for people like Avid, um, especially because if you look at the sheer capital investment you need to make to make your own silicon or your own DSP chip. It's just not commercially viable anymore, especially oh, for... You it's know. got to be in the hundreds of millions, So, so this, So this is uh, lowering the cost of... Ent- develop- this is lowering the development costs to make hardware achievable for smaller brands. So basically, I mean, I'm sure Yamaha can make some silicon. They're Yamaha, you know. Yeah. But they're, they're also, I'm sure they, they've, they can also um, uh, shift quite a few units and possibly multi-purpose that stuff because lots of things and all that good stuff. But yeah, if this, if, if, if this means that although the unit costs, I would imagine is a lot higher than silicon, but the, but, but taking it as a whole against your production run, which is kind of you know i don't know i don't know how many uh of a pro pro piece of hardware is considered good that's not really something that uh, but i i've i've got a ballpark figure in mind and it's not that big so you know we're really never going to get that economy of scale going this i think this is really interesting way to go and i didn't understand how flexible it was. I think this is the point of like, I didn't, I knew you could, I knew there's an FPGA, you could like route some audio around low latency path in a HD, HDX card. I didn't know you could make an analog synth out of it. Well, here's a, here's a lovely little start. I've just been doing a bit of background research here, or Googling to hell. Um, and there's an announcement from the people who make the FPGAs that Fairlight use. And this is to give you an idea of how flexible it is, right? So they took an eight board, 64 DSP chip device base design and replaced it with a single PCI card FPGA device. So that's, that that, that's yeah. a shrinking of, yeah, eight times. And far more affordable, adaptable technology. I mean, I th- I'm really sort of quite stoked about this. And I think it was probably overlooked a bit when Fairlight did it a decade ago. Um, but I think, uh, because also you've got people, I think Avid were already tied into their TDM platform at the time. Um, and I think they were developing HDX and must have been at the time as well. well so really, 10 years so. ago was. Yeah. Very nearly, very, very nearly HDX. Yeah, exactly. So I think they already had their their their, their irons in the fire there. Uh, so they went down that road. And the the problem is when you do custom custom DSP custom silicon is a dead end. That's it. It's got a shelf life. It's finite. It's not going to exist past a certain date. And support for it is not going to exist past a certain date. Um, and I think you know we're coming up to this junction with HDX, in my opinion. Um, and I think the, the Avid would do really well to be looking towards FPGAs and things like this and, uh, and offloading to GPUs and, and all these sort of things like, uh, lots of other people are doing already, um, to, to actually, you know, up the performance of our audio hardware. I think we could be looking at something that's been pioneering amongst the, the picture side of the industry, uh, maybe being the savior of audio. I mean, yeah, I'm putting it out there. Sounds good. Um, certainly, I, I think, I think, say, as Julian said, none of the three of us are, um, qualified to talk about this to any, any real degree, but it's certainly one to keep your eye on. And we certainly will be doing so from a, from a product expert, production expert point of view. Shall we, shall we move on to some community feedback? And this is sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. RSPE is proud to announce the new ASC Nano Attack Wall. It's a mini version of the ASC Attack Wall that takes all of the acoustic benefits of its bigger brother and shrinks them down to fit on your desktop. Get a reliable, repeatable and accurate sonic space that's extremely portable so you can take it with you when you move or work in another studio. Learn more at the RSPE website with a link in the show notes. Community feedback. Uh, we've got a, uh, a message from uh, 
Mikal, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to attempt your 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 surname because it's got too many Z's in it. I'm very sorry about that. Um, I'm my fault entirely. Coward. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. Um, this is uh, the fault is entirely mine. I apologise unreservedly. But he's been in touch about uh, Paul Drew's review of the UAD Fender Tweed. He says, "Hello, uh, the issue with the distorted input present in this video is something that I have trouble with as well. I've had this issue not only with plugins but also with Buddha Head and with the Riviera Load Box and Black Star emulated outputs." This is driving me mad as it's unusable for recording. I'm using a Tokai Love Rock double cut. I'd really appreciate if someone would help me understand what is wrong with it and how to solve it. Worth a mention that uh, this issue is happening even if input gain on the Apollo shows 50%. With all testing, it seems problems present. If adding preamp gain, uh, it's most present when rolling down the volume on the guitar to one or two. Then uh, the volume of the good signal is low and the hiss, rattle or distortion is high. Uh, I think I, uh, anyway, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with this issue. Um, I think he's describing symptoms of something that's, that's, that's in the video that, uh, um, James, yes. UAD stuff. Do you yes. know about this? I, I know a little bit about this. Um, actually a friend of mine, um, said to me, um, have you tried the UAD Fender, tw- um, Fender Tweed? And I said, yes, I have. And he said, there's an issue I've told, I've let, UA know that there's some basically it's very very difficult to get a clean tone with this particular amp and the one thing about the Fender Tweed is you should be able to get a clean tone um I read a post recently from Lev Perry him of Universal Audio and he said uh, and this is across the board when using all guitar amp plugins in the unison slot this is not special to this particular one. This is across the board. When you're plugging your guitar into the instrument input on an Apollo Twin or on an Apollo Rack Mount, the gain should be at zero for that channel. That way you are giving it an impedanced matched load into the amplifier. So don't have any gain on. So you say in this one, Mikhail, that you're using the Apollo uh, gain at 50%. Well, that is technically 49% too high. The gain should be all the way off. Um, there is quite a lot of discussion about, about the Fender Tweed. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that particularly. Certainly you're also talking about other, other products like the, uh, the Buddha head is a, is a valve head and the Riviera low box. Um, and black star and things like that are all kind of, um, I think actually these are all different, guitar vis i think the problem could be that you're hitting the apollo input too hard um uh, but it is something that is being noted I, I i'm assuming again not for can't say this for certain that the ua are looking into it um i don't have the problem i i can get the fender tweed to sound lovely and clean because you just turn the gain all the way off give that a try i would that would be my suggestion I, I have a question, James. You know, so I didn't know that, and I've wondered about the the, the how to set the gain using using Unison uh, amp sims. It with should be UA. all the way off. So with so with something like the the Fender Tweed. So, but that's how you control the gain on the amplifier in the plugin in the UI to dial in to dial in gain. Yes. So, what's going on? <sighs> Not sure. <laughs> Not sure, but because that's when you go into. I think. Hang on, let me let me qualify my thoughts here. Yes, because of course, when you're in um, what's it uh, unison mode, mm. the the thing goes orange, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, and that's because I've you, been confused then, by this in the past, just because I've been content- showing. Dialing in something that's dirty. I'm not trying to get something clean. I'm trying to get something dirty with that. It's uh, um uh. It's it's a lot of the time I'm clipping and I'm mm. going well I think I think this sounds fine but I'm I, I'm yeah, red light averse so you know. I have I have had that and I've had stuff that I've gone well that's that's telling me it's really hot but it's really not um, th- that was a direct quote from Lev on a um, I can't remember where it was I read it now I think it was on a, on a direct quote to a YouTube video I don't think it was Paul's one. Um, but that's what he says. Have have the gain set at zero. Now maybe he means have the gain set at zero before you go into unison mode. Ah, that that does sound possible. That does um, sound that possible, doesn't it? 
because have the game set at zero. Maybe that game setting persists. Then you go to unison and you can't get to it. We are assuming that we're thinking out loud here. Yeah. Yes. So don't shoot us down in flames. But it certainly would, from my point of view, it would make sense. I don't have an Apollo to hand plugged in to check because, of course, obviously I'm running, Pro Tools is running at the moment. Um, let me check that. I'm going to check that in the next couple of days and I'll get back to you. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably the problem. I think that is probably the problem. Uh, but we will check that and we'll get back to you and uh, Julian will once again try and pronounce your surname on the podcast. <laughs> Let's dive into some questions from the community. So, uh, Josh Volte has uh, emailed in. Hello, I have been using my own custom track presets for quite some time, but today when I went to open one, my presets are not showing up in the track type column anymore. I've tried to create new ones and save in a complete new folder. No matter what I tried, it doesn't seem to be finding them. Is there a bug with the latest update? Have other any has anybody else reported this recently? Um, well, Kevin Becker's uh, responded to this, uh, and uh, he he makes a very good point. Actually, he says, "Josh, I think you're talking about the track presets hack reported by Rush back in June of 2012, which was sent in by my friend and Pro Tools ninja Philip Nichols." It's morphed over the years as Avid have changed their software, necessitating user workarounds, but it's now permanently written into Pro Tools 2018 and forward. So no need to hack any longer. So, and uh, you can now save your presets by right clicking the track name or uh, Option Shift P on a Mac or Alt Shift P on a PC. Um, However, um, this is a very good point, and uh, possibly this might be what's going on. Um, uh, if it isn't, then apologies. But are you talking about using the old track hack? Because in the current version of Pro Tools 2018, um, that is going to be definitely treading on the toes of uh, of mm. a, a mm. new officially supported version of track presets. So, um, and the thing, I can see why he says that, because you start your question by saying, I've been using my own custom track presets for quite some time. Yeah. And the official yeah. ones haven't been available for quite some time. So, yeah, I think he might be onto the right thing there. Um, check out the, uh, the track presets. I did a video on this, um, actually when that version of Pro Tools 2018 came out. So that's somewhere to start. Or there's some, there's some good, um, kind of, uh, short videos from Avid. But uh, check it out. It works very well. Um, uh, if like that's it. not what it is, then then do get back in touch and let us know that we've we've missed mm. the point on your question. But if that fixes it, then uh, there you go. Chalet Smith writes, please help me out! That was in capitals. Uh, okay. I'm recording a vocal track. How can I set to play back my vocal during the pre-roll and then drop out during the actual punch-in? In other words, I don't want to hear myself in the headphones during the punch-in. I only want to hear myself during the pre-roll. And there's a big clue there in using the words pre-roll. Um, leading up to the punch-in again, any suggestions? In in just kind of like normal, no kind of punching anything Pro Tools, you'll get uh, you'll get uh, the uh, the playback from the from the track uh, up during the pre-roll. You'll get uh, input, and then you'll get uh, on post-roll the playback from the track again. Is what this person wants to to not hear their live input during the record? No, I think they I think they want to hear they want to hear the pre-roll with their previous vocal take. Then when it drops into record, they want to hear themselves sing. Oh right, okay. And then when when their recording take finishes, if they've decided they only want to punch in two bars, they want to hear what they sang after those two bars. It's just a standard. Um, pre-roll, post-roll, punch-in type thing. So it should be working. If it's not working, perhaps, possibly, somebody's not understanding what the input monitor button does, because I've certainly seen people in the past treat that like a sort of track-on button. Which, Actually, uh, yes, we don't know what version of Pro Tools that is, is true. being used. So if it's uh, one of the older ones, then yes, the, the there's, there was a limitation on which punch-in modes you could run, wasn't there? Hmm. So that could be the issue with that. I mean, you know, you, if you, um, if you have some form of a remote, um, that you're doing there, you could do a bit of, uh, swift mutage operation on your playback channel if you want. You could do it the old school way, like we always used to do with tape. Um, again, also, then we had auto input monitoring on that as well. So, um, that's, <laughs> That that's the thing. I mean, without knowing what version of Pro Tools you're running, um, then we're not entirely sure how to advise 
going about fixing it, and even if there's a version, even if there is a fix available for it for that version of Pro Tools, I would say the devil's in the detail. If you right click on your record button, um, you should be able to come. It will bring up the choice of different punching modes, and if you haven't got a full set of them there, apart from destructive punch, which I think is a um, now ultimate only feature. Um, then, uh, yeah, you might be running a, a version of Pro Tools that doesn't support that. So um, let us know what version you're running and uh, maybe we can try and work out what's going on. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. Even on a good day, it really isn't good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes below. Uh, right, it is time for Find of the Week, and this is sponsored by UJAM. UJAM Instruments plugins are your studio companions. Always on call when you want to write, play and record tracks. Take seat in the producer's chair and tell your player what you need. This means a maximum of musical and sonic integrity and versatility and a minimum of your precious energy required to get there. Discover our virtual instruments at UJAM.com. So, boys, it's time for... I can't believe I'm getting to do this again. Find of the week! People think you process that, Julian. That's actually my real voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Julian, go for it. Uh, mine's mine's picture in picture mode in Safari. Um, it's a thing that um, I'm sure people who pay closer attention to new features in uh, in OS X uh, maybe clocked a long time before I did because it's been around since Sierra. But I, I published a tip um, yesterday about uh, how to use it, and what it is is just that I don't use two monitors, um, and I use a I use a laptop sometimes, and. You, most laptops don't have two monitors and it can if i i watch lots of lots of video content and very often i want to work in my daw whilst watching a video and how do you do that and what i tend to do actually is i watch the video for a bit stop it do whatever i try out whatever i've you know great knowledge has been imported no picture in picture and you can have a little floating window somewhere Mm. whilst we're using pro tools and uh, it's brilliant it works really well i've tried it on uh on youtube and on uh, our um tutorial channel uh, pivot share um and it works any uh, any html5 i've only found one thing that doesn't work really and uh yeah it's just a really nice little feature why didn't i know about it before fantastic yeah alan what about you well i mean i've got a uh sort of more vanilla type find of the week, which was my new uh, Thunderbolt 3 Windows gaming laptop. But that is... You much of a gamer. And I've done a, no, not particularly, but... Uh, and I've done a review of it anyway, so I don't think I want to talk about that. But on the way to the studio this evening, um, because my studio is now a 10-minute drive away from where I live, I have a home set up as well, so I'm splitting my workload between my official studio location and home. So, um, and I was driving across here this evening, just before the podcast record, and it struck me that... That must have hurt. (laughs) I know. It struck me that I was doing exactly the same commute run as I did as a teenager 30 years ago. (laughs) And, more to the point, I was listening to the same album as I was listening then as well on the car stereo. And my find of the week this week is sort of related to that because this was inspired by the fact that it's finally the sun's come out and the temperature's raised into double figures and the rain has sort of eased off a bit. And now you can actually drive with the windows down, not freezing, and you can actually have some open-air music which you can share with whether the rest of the world likes it or not. But it's a lovely, liberating feeling. It, there's nothing beats, it's, it, well, preferably in a convertible, having a great tune on and having the wind in your hair 
and not freezing your butt off at the same time. So that's my find of the week this week. My uh, only question my is boring wh- one. My only question is which album? Uh, it's um, the bassomatic set the controls to the heart of the bass. Um, with my money was on Dizzy Connor, so yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no, and with the track "Rat Cutter Bottle," which uh, is just the most fabulous piece of um, grinding bass house, late eighties, early nineties tune, and it was it's it's lovely. And what happens is when you wind down the windows in a car, especially if your speakers in the doors, it completely breaks the acoustics of the speaker cabinet that you had before. And what that does is it makes the bass a little bit flappier, a bit fruitier. And this lends itself perfectly to the tunes of Bassomatic. And it just gives you that lovely fruity feeling of just being slowly shaken to death by the bass. And if you like that sort of thing, then that, you know, which is my, floats my boat, then go for it. I have just looked for said band, said group, said ensemble on Apple Music. So um, I shall be enjoying some of that later on as well. So, uh, James, what's your find of the week? You're all expecting some uber-expensive, gold-plated something, aren't you? No, not this time. Um, I've been spending a lot of time recently with virtual channel strips and kind of virtual stuff that's just going to make things sound a bit more real and a bit more authentic. And I have to admit, the new um, Arturia, three preamps you will actually use. Yes, that really is the title. He's actually very, very cool. It's really, really good. It's very easy to use. They sound great. The load on your system is absolutely minimal. Um, review to follow. Uh, really, really, really nice sounding preamp and EQ emulations. Definitely one you should check out. So on that sonic note, it's time for us to say goodbye. So it's good night from me. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night. Good night.